Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, the places to dive, and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed episode 354 is recorded live January 4th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the very snowy part of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well and staying warm. Yeah, this is uh, unbelievable. I I think it was Monday. I got into my car and it was saying negative seven. And I thought, well, that's pretty chilly. So I took a photo and then I get down going down the road and it seemed like every couple hundred yards it dropped a degree. So it finally bottomed out at negative 10. Uh, uh, I must mean you get up before nine or 10, right? Yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, work kind of likes it when you're. When you're there, somewhat close to uh, opening time, yes. So I was, uh, I was on the road. This, this is probably maybe oh about seven thirty in the morning on Monday, and it did slowly warm up throughout the day. But I, I, I think it got down to negative again into the night. Well, if it keeps us up, we're definitely going to have good ice. I would think for the ice I've planned on the twenty first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in. Before we jump into the news, I, I understand that we had an uh, ice dive on New Year's Eve as opposed to uh, general open water. We went out first to uh, Magician Lake because we had had reported a week prior that they had a good four inches of ice. So we very well at that another week, and it's going to be really, really good. We got out there, and it's like if you didn't wear your dry suit and, for, and or flotation gear with cleats, being in the water. Oh. Because uh, you stepped off, had some uh, snow on it, so under it was honeycomb. Mm-hmm. You went slush, 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 and see your, your footprints. Wow. Uh, so after it went out a little ways to maybe 20 foot deep, everybody was wearing the appropriate gear. Uh, uh, nah, we're not going to do it here. So came back in, then we went over to, and that was a magician, mm-hmm. Round Lake. And I uh, parked in the public access, went out. It was similar, similar, but not as bad. So we put out a spot that was maybe 10 foot deep. We had positive four, meaning four inches plus. They cut a, a rectangular hole because we had a platform this time. Uh-huh. Difference for getting in and out. Support the ice better so it doesn't start sublimating down or, you know, making that depression. Everybody's not hurting around it. By 11 o'clock, with a lot of surface support, we had, I mean, I think we had seven guys in the water. We had an equal number just about of, of uh, wonderful when you got one-to-one or, that, you know, pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a pretty what, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it sounds like a pretty good turnout then. A really nice turnout. We had a couple of the new players, um, Ryan, Maria, and Daisy. Uh, Skyler came from uh, Washington, yeah, and Dove also. So I expect for him and his dad. Nice. They're right now doing. He's doing the commercial course, and he's used to the cold water, unlike some of the people up there. <laughs> so the uh, so he did die, get a dive with us. Excellent. 
Well, let's uh, go ahead and go ahead. Uh, everything looks pretty decent. Okay. So I apologize to everybody. It looks, sounds like we're having a little bit of connection issues, as, as we said earlier. It's uh, We'll just blame it the uh, snow on the lines or something. Um, so we'll go ahead and jump right on into the news. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. Uh, we have uh, Karen and, and Eric currently. Um, th- this is an article I, that we heard, and this is, I don't know, let's see, what what's the byline on this? What date do they have? This is this is actually before New Year's. Uh, Cape Cod shark deaths they're blaming on the bitter cold. Officials say two thresher sharks that were found washed up Wednesday in Cape Cod likely died due to bitter cold conditions. The sharks were discovered in Orleans and Wellfleet, according to the statement from the Atlantic White Shark Conservatory. The AWSE team believes the shark succumbed to cold shock. Metamorphic data, organs, and tissue samples are collected. Officials say the samples will be examined. I don't know a thing about cold shock or mm-hmm. you know, sharks and other items. Had you ever heard of that before? I have not, not, and I'm a little surprised because I typically think of sharks as somebody who is a creature that would go deep, and I can't believe that that deep water temperature is changing all that much to where it would have caused them a problem. So unless they were, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they're having, you know, what they, how they behave normally. Do they need moments of warmer temperature, similar to how reptiles like to warm up at a certain time of the day? It's, it just seems like uh, that'd be a little unusual. Uh, unlo- well, I was reading some of the articles after you said that, and I just Googled, not Google, but looked around. There's a ton of articles on it from different, different places, but this one makes sense here. It, it talked about, I was trying to figure out how could that kill them. And it's been so cold, and if they surface, they're getting the cold air, freezes the, the moisture on their gills, and they suffocate. Oh. That sort of makes sense. It, it does, other than... Do sharks routinely need to be above the surface? Yeah, because they're they don't necessarily need to breathe air that I'm aware of, like a a mammal such as a whale or a dolphin would need to. So it seems like it'd be smart on their their behalf to to stay down. But I guess if they were in maybe fresher water, or that even the salt water had st- was at like the freezing point, maybe there's something about you know the cavitation over the gills that lowers the freezing point and they were icing up uh something else that that may make sense is is colder water may not have as much dissolved oxygen in it so it, i guess I, I wonder if that could have compounded it well they said also no one's stranded due to cold shock which can cause cardiac cardiac arrest in animals well now we're talking fish not an animal per se mm-hmm. yeah but uh and, you know more so an animal or a human uh-huh. You can get that cold shock and really do you some damage. Yep. Yeah, but uh, this is this is kind of surprising. And in, in a little bit warmer area, if uh, and, and we we know how much you like the mermaids, uh, they actually have openings for mermaids. The uh, Waikiki was it Wiki Wachi Spring State Park, an attraction in Hernando County, located near the intersection of State Road 50 and U.S. Highway 19. The attraction has been open since 1947, featured performers dressed as mermaids in underwater theater. The state park is holding auditions January 13th for what it hopes to be several new additions to its world-famous mermaid squad. Currently, a squad has 17 performing mermaids and three princes. 
The mermaids perform underwater year-round in 72-degree spring water near the head of the Wikiwachi River. The mermaid show can debuted in October 3, 1947, in a theater built of limestone and submerged six feet below the spring surface. The park experts, excuse me, the park expects at least 50 women to come out first and most physically demanding part of the audition. The uh, first audition day, aspiring mermaids must complete a timed 300-yard endurance swim where they swim both with and against the water current. If they finish that successfully, candidates must tread water for 10 to 15 minutes. Cans will perform underwater ballet moves like flips a few feet below the water park submerged mermaid tank that faces the 400-seat auditorium. The underwater auditorium shows how comfortable or panicky a candidate looks behind the glass. After the new mermaids are chosen, they will undergo a year's worth of training, from getting scuba certified to mastering underwater routines. Up-and-coming water nymphs are faced with some real physical challenges. Uh, one of the moves that they have to perform is the Ferris wheel, which is considered to be a difficult move for the move. The women drop their hose, grab each other's tails, create something like a Ferris wheel as they swim in a loop. It's only for about 20 to 25 seconds, Mad and the Mermaid explains, but you know you're going to be the one who messes it up. And because of it's a natural spring, there's current which can move up to five miles per hour. The mermaids have to exert energy to stay in place. Also, considering the water temperature is a brisk 74 degrees year-round, some mermaids emerge from the water shaking uncontrollably after the show. They're whisked away to a hot room so their body temperatures can stabilize. Even though it is difficult physically work, physical work, each mermaid said they love their job, especially the sisterhood bonds they formed. Now, here's the catch. Can you guess what the pay is? I can. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're looking at it. $10 an hour, and they must commit to work four days a week. <laughs> wow. If this is the same one I saw when I was six or seven years old. I think this is the, the early 50s. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to remember, is this the same place that has the glass and boats? I think so. Ground yeah. scenes. And if these gals are any indication of what they've got, I would love to go there again now that I'm older than six. Yes. Yeah, you, you, you sometimes need to be a little over to older than six to appreciate uh, something. You know their 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 talents. All of these that we're seeing here and their talents. Yes, but ten dollars an hour. It seems like uh, that's a it's a little on the light side. I would say. Degrees water. Well, the water's cold too. That's... Four is going to be. I would consider that chilly. Yes, seventy-four. Did say that. Swim test was quite interesting, but it didn't really say how long they performed for. I'd be curious about that. Hmm. I'm sure we can we can look it up. You know, make sure we do a follow up on this to see uh, how many people actually made it. Mm -hmm. See, I, I bet that this this almost calls for a road trip. The the one right under it has oh. additional really good pictures. Oh. <laughs> The Rocky Shoreline Natural Spring. It really is quite interesting. Be yeah. frozen, that's all there is to it. Yeah. I like the pictures from the other side, by the way. Yeah, I'm I'm not seeing what so, you're seeing. I'm I'm the the article I have underneath is this Florida man attacks ATM after it dispenses too much money. There's something wrong with that guy. Way down to the bottom it says, in my opinion, under the sea these women actually make a living as mermaids in Florida. Yeah. 
Well, I'm guessing. Highlight it in blue. Let me see. Yeah. Sure, no. Yep, I'm not seeing that. Hey, Paul, for ten dollars an hour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Only ten dollars is 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 pretty light. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. You say blue. Always want to be mermaid. Yeah. That says under and under the sea. I'm gonna actually make a living. Oh. Click on that. Okay. Let me take a look. Oh, so that's a different place then. Same place, but it's different pictures. Oh, it's got pictures. Oh yeah. And that's the the website, the pennyhoarder.com. Yes. Rules of being a mermaid, never let anyone see you transform. East Spring State Park. Yeah, boat tours and famous. It's gotta be the same place. But I'm sure the ladies of the mermaids have changed since I was there last. Yeah, I would I would think so. Real Life Mermaids talks about what they did and how they do things, which is interesting. Like primer, waterproof mascara, and lipstick. That makes sense about that. So one lady's been there four and a half years. One picture of them doing the circle. That's pretty impressive. Oh, I, I this is it. Again? I was going to say, this is, this is interesting. They, they go into the story of, yes, of how, it, how it formed. One you were talking about. And if you go down about the four picture, is there? bonds yeah my my internet's too slow so you're you're describing okay. stuff i'm may, maybe about halfway into the into the show the photos may load uh, i think you'll enjoy them there's also a video mm-hmm. in the routine so anybody else make sure you take a look at that site and i think you're gonna find it very enjoyable yeah uh, we'll, we'll let this one load in the background maybe we'll, we'll come back and and talk about it um you know we had that stream of bad weather and hurricanes earlier in the year. And uh, I guess if you're into uh, recovering boats, it, it might have been uh, a good opportunity for you. Recovering what was lost in the U.S. Virgin Islands one boat at a time. The hurricane that ravaged the U.S. Virgin Islands September damaged and destroyed not only thousands of buildings, but also hundreds of boats from tiny sailboats to 50-foot luxury yachts. In a territory that's heavily dependent on tourism, there's no spot more than... Three miles from the sea, boats are as integral to the economy as an island's beaches and their now battered hotels. Boats are their livelihoods and even the homes of many residents. And for the mainlanders who live in the vessels there year-round, there's a big reason to spend money and time on the islands. Even if our boat had made it, we would really be struggling because customers aren't here, uh, said Justin Cornfield, 34, owner of St. John's Yacht Charters, whose 46-foot sailing scoop that Survivavin was destroyed. Not doesn't seem to be an appropriate name. Hurricane <laughs> didn't work for him. No. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think you name it things like "Don't Sink Me" or "Titanic." You know, those are other names you should probably avoid. He and his partner Ashley Cordert had insurance on the boat, and they want to use the money to buy another one, but it would not be a good business move right now. The timing depends on how fast St. John's bounces back and how fast tourists come back, and nobody knows the answers yet. Three months after the Category 5 hurricane, Irma and Mira ravaged the islands. About half the customers remain without electricity, and about one-quarter of the territory still lacks cell phone service. Thousands of homes and other buildings were damaged and destroyed. Total numbers unknown. But U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has installed 3,600 temporary plastic roofs, and 11,000 families have applied for disaster assistance. Among the many arduous tasks that remain, 
in the early stages are identifying the owners of lost boats, recovering the vessels, salvaging those that can be fixed, and then disposing of the rest. U.S. Coast Guard has identified 459 boats in the U.S. Virgin Islands, a population of 106,000 that were left derelict by the storms, more than in nearby Puerto Rico, which has 30 times as many residents. That figure understates the true number of wrecks. The Army Corps engineers removed some early on because they posed a threat to navigation. The Coast Guard is still finding more boats. In Benner Bay on St. Thomas and Coral Harbor and St. John's, as many as 50 boats in each location lie thrown together. We don't know what's under there, said Commander David Reinhardt, the Coast Guard officer directing the salvage operation. It's very likely we're going to find many more commercial vessels like Survive N were required to have insurance, but most of the boats owned for personal use were uninsured. I couldn't afford the insurance, and neither could just about anyone I know, said Philip Falkenberry, 57, who lived alone in his 41-foot catch rig sailboat Nugget 2. Hurricane Maria ripped it from its mooring in Christed on St. Croix and deposited on a beach leaning against the roots of an upturned tree. After the storm, he said people stripped it of anything of value. All that's like pouring salt on a wound. The day after the hurricane hit, he flew to Louisiana, where he grew up, for temporary work in an oil refinery. Three days later, the company that hired him sent him back to, to the Virgin Islands to work on a damaged refinery there. When I got off the plane, I couldn't believe it. It looked like Hiroshima or Nagasaki. There wasn't a leaf on a tree, not a blade of grass. The Federal Emergency Management Agency denied his claim for housing assistance. He said because the storm took the paperwork he had that showed the boat was his home. So for months he had slept on an air mattress in the back room of a scooter store and a bar he owns. He said his business, which was also looted, had only liability insurance, so he's not covered for damage or lost inventory. Like many people in the territory, he thinks about closing up shop and relocating to the mainland. I think I'll go to work at least a few months in the state to build up some cash. I plan to come back, and I want to come back, but honestly I can't say I can get back to where I was financially. Federal Emergency Management Agency's mandate for responding to disasters includes preventing and responding to hazardous material spills. That means recovering boats which have fuel, oil, batteries, and other pollutants aboard. Boat Savage has delegated the state and local environment agency, in this case the Virgin Islands Department of Planning and Natural Resources, and the Coast Guard. The costs are covered by a federal grant. We raise them, clean them, take off the potential hazards, return them to their owners when we can. They range from being in pretty good condition to total losses. About 100 people have been engaged in the effort, Reinhardt said, and it's been slow going. Fewer than one-third of the boats have been recovered primarily by the Coast Guard, but also by boat owners and their insurance, and many of the recovered boats were damaged so badly the owners declined to take them back. One of the first and most difficult jobs has been finding the owners. Coast Guard is located about 60% of them despite expensive public outreach, including thorough ads on radio, television, websites, and by simply having... Personnel walk through marinas talking with people. Some owners have been reluctant to step forward because they expect to be charged for the salvage and because they are unsure what to do with the property once they get it back, other than living on the mainland or in another country. Uh, private contractors do most of the recovery work on sunken boats using barges and cranes and scuba divers who attach pontoons and inflatable bags to the wreck. Vessels that sank were grounded in environmental sensitive areas are handled with particular care. Wow, that's a big task that they have to go through. I wonder how they get paid to do the salvage if you can't find the owners and most of them are scrapped when you get them up. Well, it sounds, to bring it up. Yeah, it sounds like there's there must be at least a, a certain amount of grant money 
that's uh, going. And then probably the part of it is on spec, but I mean, is there any, if it's not easily identifiable as uh, salvage, is there, is there much value? I mean, would it be firewood at that point? It's really odd. I was just wondering, most boats seem to have a name on the back. So unless the back was ended, you'd have something to go on. Mm-hmm. I would imagine you'd have numbers on a boat if it's registered. Like in an aircraft, there's a plaque or something on the inside giving specs on the boat. And if it's got an engine, it's got serial numbers and items, you know. It's an inboard here to maybe locate. Think of a challenge. And everybody's talking about Puerto Rico. Well, there's some items that are just as bad off as Puerto Rico. Yeah. Obviously, not as many people in a smaller area. They talked about... Uh, Potential hazards off return them to their owners when they can. And we're back. The owners decline to take them back. If it's your boat, how can they decline to take it back? You know what I mean? Yeah. In my car on the highway, what you, I'm going to get charged for that when they remove it? Maybe the economy down there or, or the, the the residents are just don't have enough income. I mean, because what are you going to do? You're going to fine them? I mean, do you take somebody? I didn't have anything. Yeah, they've lost everything. They're they're probably you know living in in shacks trying to recover. And then you've got this this one gentleman who who went back to the mainland, and he came back and everything was ripped off, both yeah. his store, his bar, his boat. Yeah, oh, that, that suck. really sucks. It does. It's I don't know, but no leaves and no blade of grass. Now that's it'd be interesting to see some pictures of that. Yeah, and the play devil devil's advocate. You know, how much was ripped off and how much was just blown apart. And if you're one of the people there, you know, the weeks after the storm, you're probably just trying to do anything just to survive. A picture in the front, though. I got plenty of trees, got leaves on them. Those boats right there looked like they could be salvaged. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I didn't look at the other pictures, did you? No. I'm, I'm Again, I'm, I'm pictures are not loading real well for me. There's uh. There's a couple here where it's got pictures of them in their orange suits, bringing up a sailboat, and the bottom, the rudder broke. Uh, there's names on the back, outboard, or it's got an engine. It's going to need some serious work on it. Uh, on these here, they're using crane and barge, which is not inexpensive to bring up. It's going to be a challenge. Okay, here's one, a pile of them together. That's going to be a mess. Yeah, that might be that you might one. not want the boats back. That might be the one in the bay that they were talking about where it was just a big pile. It says, sunken boats at Coral Harbor, St. John's, Virgin Islands, on December 7th. And I'm looking at three sailboats, cruiser, and a fishing jumbled together to, like you just got them and threw them together on the shore. Uh, the cabin cruises up to the water to the windshields or the windscreen. Those are not going to be worth much. Yeah, it's going to be a bad day there. Totally different is when you're living there. Now, in the next article we have, this one's out of the UK, a campaign hopes to bring back 19th century Cornish shipwreck to Turiro, T-R-U-R-O, Turo, Truro, Truro, I sound like Astro. Uh, a Just Giving crowdfunding page was set up to raise funds to rescue the remains of a Cornish schooner, which is currently lying the banks of Medway River, Kent. Funds raised will go towards organizing rescue that remains of the Road to Mary and transport back to its birthplace in Truro, where it will be restored. The Ronda May is a West County topsail schooner. Ronda Mary built at Point in 
Deveran in 1868. Andrew Mullen, who set up the Just Giving page, runs a company which works with charities in Devon and Cornwall. Writing on his page, Andrew said, Merchant schooners were once a familiar sight around the Cornish coast, carrying Cornish men on trading journeys around the globe and famed for their elegance and speed. Adding grant funding has been applied for to provide significant resources required to carry out recovery of the remains in the banks of the River Medway. In anticipation, the project needs financial help to employ a part-time staff member to deal with the constant flow of inquiries that have been generated. He continues the process training educational opportunities and wooden ship construction associated trades will be provided to young people. Donors left message and support on the Just Giving page. One wrote, in honor of the fearless little man with indomitable spirit, my uncle Eve, who bought the Ronda May in 1927, and chugged all the way from Padstow to Chatham. May she live again. Another said donation to celebrate Uncle George's birthday, born in Fuck, uh, November 16th, 1924. Proudly a Ferris and part of the Canadian contingent supporting the Rhoda Mary Project. That's interesting. Uh, she was a first of her designs. She had a 109-foot deck, 95-foot at the waterline, and a 21-foot beam and a 10-foot drought, a displacement of 130 tons. She was financed through the what they call the 64-share system, in which members of a community could invest in the construction of a vessel and profit from the trading uh, activities it did. And in this case, it was a true conservative effort or enterprise. Uh, let's see here. The large schooner, 130 tons gross, was to be famous for her speed along all the west coast of England as long as she remained afloat. Her speed came from her narrow beam, for she was less than 22 foot wide from her fine run and her rake and fairing clipper bow. The pictures, when she was built, interesting, the construction aspects. And I think that's one of the uh, factors they wanted is the subject for the historical aspect of its construction, correct? Yeah. Well, and I, I think that should also help you in grant applications if there's something unique and special about the vessel. Pictures here, which are really nice of the construction and the old guys doing it. Uh, one or two under sail coming to the harbor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven different sails on this one. I'm not familiar with math arrangements, but that's quite interesting. Another one, she's obviously underway and very fast. It's at the top of the sail, hanging on to the hard arm. It's like, would you like to do that nowadays? <laughs> Hale and hardy sailors. Yeah. Oh yeah, they good pictures of it too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, what it was here. yeah, I, I'm looking at the just giving page, and uh, it doesn't look like they've been they've had too much luck so far. Uh, with 26 days to go in their campaign, they're trying to get 5,000 pounds. They have 240 pounds donated by seven supporters. And it looks like I, I sent a, a link to that. Because if you go down to the bottom of it where it says the project, it shows pictures of the boat on shore and the state that's in right now. And I need some help because once it's exposed on shore like this, if you don't start doing some serious preservation, it's going to be gone. Yeah, I'm not, I'm England not. on some business, oh, God, quite a few years ago, um, back when I was diving. And in one of the bays, they had three five-mast schooners in the bay donate to you know do these ships 10 years later they're gone they're destroyed yeah yeah boats you gotta you gotta maintain them they don't they don't do well uh, I, I mean i know of 
mini boats that have seems like once they leave the water, it doesn't take long for them just to fall apart. Trust, yeah. I know. See that carved uh, figurine they've got on there? And a 19th century shipwreck, this one's out of the uh, New Zealand, the favorite in, uh, oh gosh, A-H-I-P-A-R-A, a Fira restored, the last remains, the last visible remnant of the 147-year-old shipwreck in the far north beach has been restored. Many people are angered and aggravated when the last visible, visible remnant of the shipwreck disappeared in August last year, it was believed at the time that the elements had finally gotten a better of the crankshaft, albeit aided and abetted by the actions of a man, Ruben Tapari Porter, who had attempted to cut it down in December 2014. His disc grinder did not cut right through the shaft, but it generated acceptable uh, amount of weakening to the point where heavy swells finished the job. Now the rusted wrought iron crankshaft, last visible sign of the 59-ton Australian beat paddle steamer, the favorite, which ran aground on April 1st, 1870, has been restored courtesy of the Katira Engineering. Marty Dosevich and his crew went to the beach, colloquially known as Shipwreck Bay, recently fitting a stainless steel sleeve and returning the shaft to its original position. They even checked photographs to make sure they had it facing the right way. Putting it up was the easy part. Manufacturing the steel sleeve had to be a bigger job. All the restoration had only been possible because a resident had taken the shaft for safekeeping when it collapsed more than a year ago. Uh, Mr. Dusevich said the nuts holding the sleeve had been welded so they could never be undone, and he hoped it would still be there in a 100 years' time. The actions of Mr. Porter claimed to be protesting against the prospect of oil drilling off far northwest coast were praised by some and roundly condemned by most. He remained unrepentant, however, saying he had learned that the land landmark's disappearance via social media and his actions had at least prompted a robust discussion about the dangers of offshore drilling represented by the environment. Mr. Porter had early, earlier said he long disliked the name Shipwreck Bay being applied to the world-class surfing beach, saying uh, the nursery more accurately reflected the nature of the area. It was reported at the time that no one was seen ta- taking what would have likely been a very heavy piece of rusted metal away as a memento, although that theory had not been entirely discounted. And now it transpires that it was in safekeeping all the time. I was looking for additional pictures. I could not find any. Find another article I also put on that that basically said the same thing as what George just did. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's, it's, I mean, did they charge the guy for vandalism? And if you were going to, what did he vandalize? Scrap metal seemed unrepentant. A different picture. Okay. Uh, hang on, I'm going to send you another picture if you wanted to take a look at it. Wreck. Uh, Not like the one we just looked at just before. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? The Green Bay up towards South Haven. Oh, does it look like that one? <laughs> not even. Oh, it's not even that good of a shape. No, not even that good of a shape. So it's like, uh, not sure what their concern is to start with in any kind of current and, and weather. And it's interesting, this article here, being industry, well-established near cargo gum was loaded by lighter and dinghy direct from the beach to vessels waiting offshore. The paddle steamer favorite engaged in the gum trade line the far north coastal waters. Angered off the bay to load a cargo of gum, 
taking advantage of the shelter offered by the land from the strong southwesterly conditions that prevailed at the time. A little imprudent, the captain chose to lie so close to shore without steam on the boiler in such conditions. The southwesterly wind increased to a gale force, and the pivot was driven far ashore in what is now referred to as Shipwreck Bay. Wrought iron and a relatively new vessel, her 45-horsepower machinery, while primitive by later standards, made her a powerful vessel for that time. With a 16-foot beam, she was quite a fast ship. Her remains had weathered the intervening wells very years very well. Part for boiler section is still opposed with one of the shafts that drove for paddle wheels. The rest remains lied buried for all time beneath the sands. That was interesting. Hmm. Being loaded back in the day. Very cool. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. If you like to keep up and, and follow us, you can visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed, on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. While you're at it, if you're having any sort of value out of the show, please give us a little bit of funds to help us keep everything going. We've just renewed all our contracts for at least one more year, and this is the first episode in our ninth season. So we have uh, been at this for a little bit, I would say. Oh, yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, some diving again. Um, h- how thick was the ice that we that you had for the New Year's Eve? At least four inches. When we got in and was playing around a little bit, uh, we we had probably a good inch and a half or two inches of clear. The rest was more honeycomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, base wasn't too bad. It did have a, a significant coating of snow on it, which is good and bad. Yeah, it, it seems like... It Mm-hmm. It seems like once we get that snow on the top, then it starts to melt from underneath. It's like that snow insulates the ice, and then the, the the water being warmer just starts to melt. So any idea... There's any other item I had on that. Yeah. Uh, so any idea on how the ice is doing this week? Has it, has it been increasing at all? To look at it, uh, we did put the pylon and stuff on it, so Jim will have to go back out and recover those. Um as we're out there playing around around 12 o'clock, had a car or two stop, and then the fire department truck stopped. <laughs> and it said, yeah, what are you guys doing out there? Recovering the snowmobile? We had a report that the snowmobile was out there. And that's because it was a rectangular cut. We had pylons around it, you know. And oh. off. So if you look at it, it's like, hey, small snowmobile must have went down because see the shape? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he was somewhat disappointed because he says we were wondering why we didn't get a call for that. <laughs> yeah, they're looking for a little bit of excitement out there at the at Sister Lakes. They're, they're probably pretty heavily, heavily, heavily loaded in the uh, summer activities. So winter probably is a little bit slower out that way. That's a shallow lake. I don't know if you've dove there, but no. In the middle part, if you come off the public access and sort of go left. If you're flying over, it looks like a half moon out there, and that's a sandbar. And during the summer, that's party city because that's where all the boats are tethered. Uh huh. Seeing boats sometimes having parties. Yeah, I've as as uh, gosh, in my early twenties, I remember being out there in the lake in a boat. But it's been it's been a long time. And as far as scuba diving, I've never been out there diving. Don't. No. You weedy. 
biggest disadvantage. And uh, I would probably dive Indian Lake before that because it's got more history and some different areas that are nice to dive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't look like it would uh, you know, have any nice deep spots. And if you look at pictures from 100 years ago, the lakes are drying up yeah. because we're taking water away from them and not putting them back. No, well, and then we let them get all silted up. You know, we're putting phosphates in the in the lakes, and yeah, pretty soon they'll just be ditches. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in that. So we've got the uh, on January twentieth. We have the ice diving class going on. Has anybody talked about doing any? Yeah. It's any... an intro to scuba first. So it's going intro to scuba. Scuba first is the first part of it, and then after that's completed because it's going to be open to experienced divers who want to bring their gear in and get it washed off, if you know what I mean. Yep. See how much it stretched or didn't, you know, shrunk, and get a little time, because he's going to be bringing some scooters out and some full face masks, some with camo. Mm-hmm. So you go out there and do a little, little uh, check out the new gear. Yep. And then the uh, ice diving class will be after it, following, meaning Sunday, will be the uh, actual ice dive. Excuse me. Anybody have anything? I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Anybody have anything planned before that? Anything planned for that or before that? Uh, guys are not diving pretty much this year. Bob and uh, is going to be in Hawaii, so he'll be yep. gone because he's hardcore for Lake 16. Uh, Ken and Larry are probably not into it this year. Mm-hmm. Our Larry's first dive in a long time is for New Year's. Wow. So you did end up making it. One of the longest he's been without a dive, and uh, same with for Ken. Wow. And fortunately, Ken stuck around and intended, brought the uh, warming shed, the trailer. Oh, excellent. Nice for that. Fortunately, we did not have a lot of wind. If the wind had really been up, it would have been freaking miserable out there, let me tell you. And as it was, we had the, the normal instantaneous free flows if you didn't. Yeah. Divers, not too much for the cold water. And, but got that all taken care of because we had the hot water. Mm-hmm. Could turn the air off real quick, dunk it in there, and and I did have a nice little never had it before. At the end of the dive, after we had posed for pictures and all that, all I did is pro book is on the inflate button on the inflator mm-hmm. for your BC. Yep. Not stop inflating. Oh really? Been underwater, it would have been uncomfortable probably. Meaning not have been going like a little rocket. And it was just purging to the exhaust valve on the top and bottom side. Huh. Turned it off, not a big deal. It was so freaking cold, though, that by the time I got it from the water to the trailer board, it's flexible on that suit, <laughs> that, that BC. Hmm. And one of the issues I had with that is the northern inflator hose connects to the BC. Yeah. Uh, you got a new BC, the round, you can disconnect it. Mm-hmm. Then you go to a little 90 that follows the tube down for the inflator. Yes. It was so brittle, it snapped. Oh, no. Through the dive. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'd have still been pretty good because I, I don't go negative. Yeah. Just a little bit. So, And some of the guys tried different items. Um, mounts, diving instead of the back. Mm-hmm. And then large bailouts and put them crossways across their chest so they didn't have the extra weight on their back. Well, there's uh, different techniques everybody tried out. Several people tried out in time. 
Probably the other major item coming up, though, is going to be February 17 and 18. And what's that? That is for Our World Underwater in Chicago. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're, we're already, we're already uh, it seems like as soon as you get through the first of the year, we start uh, thinking about the dive show season. Right, because in March, you still got Great Lakes shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. That's on the Saturday. But what we don't have is go ships. Yeah, well, it's been scheduled for March, but the date has still not been identified. And if you go to the website, it's information for last year. Yeah, they're, uh, from what I understand, and I'm hearing everything third and fourth person, is that they still don't have a location for the event. Imagine that you would have at least that information on the website. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they've secured a location, so I think that's part of the problem is that they're still trying to find a spot to hold it information they're not sent they've got you know if you need information go to this and mm-hmm. i did and it was non-functional uh, got back a response from it because if somebody were trying to volunteer or to help them and use that as a you know contact point they're out of luck yeah but the, there, you know something will get all of us and tell us yeah yeah we, we'd love to know well do you have a any uh safety tips for this week Oh, I was looking for my notes, and it's always one of those, when you're looking for something that you weren't <laughs> expecting to do it, you can't find the darn thing. Yeah, yep, certainly yeah, understand that's, that. That's why I was talking a lot, so I could see if I could find my notes. <laughs> well, while you're looking looking for that, I finally did get those photos to load, and uh, that is interesting. That's a, that's That article in the Penny Hoarder uh, goes into quite a bit of detail. And uh, one thing that uh, some of the, you know, we were, we were kind of saying $10 an hour didn't seem like much, but it seems to be that uh, these are college students who are doing it, and they like it because of the flexible schedule. So they can, you know, can usually work around their, their car schedules, and I imagine they're probably three or four students to an apartment. So uh, your expenses quite aren't as much as a normal full-time career. I was trying to see if they said how long... Any of those shows were ah, it's a thirty-minute show. Uh, okay, don't really have any safety tip for the day, but as a side note, if you've never taken the time to, well, let me rephrase that: if you're going to your dive master, one of the items you're going to have to wind up doing is doing a dive planning checklist. That or ever thought about it from that aspect? Uh, go do some searching. You'll find one on Patty. It's called Dive Planning Checklist. And it's quite interesting to go through it. Could you really? Could you actually have made one on your own without having looked at something else? And it's a good tips. Like for example, uh, the Patty Dive Planning Checklist under one category is Advanced Planning. It's like who's your dive buddy? Dive in the ocean? Do you have high tables? What's the objective of the dive? What are you going to be doing? What is the specific location? That location. How to get there? What time do we meet? What time? Is there any special? Something extra we're going to need because of the conditions. And who's going to do the pre-check of the weather and water conditions to see if it's still a go or no-go? Advanced planning. Talks about under-preparation. Do you, in fact, check your cylinders before you leave the house? And many times, because I did not check them before I take them out. I've checked them, you know, at some point in time. I don't remember having used it, but I always take two tanks just because. The other reason is that if you're out there metal detecting, hunting treasure, you're always going to find something as soon as you hit 500 pounds. Mark it, go back to the other shore, get your other tank, and come back and dive it. If you didn't have two tanks, you're out of luck. So preparation is cylinders filled. 
Did you inspect your equipment? No, that sounds a lie, but you get on a boat, and there's four of us, and we all got dry suits. I'm betting at least two of us have the same fins, gloves, as yours marked so you can get your own stuff back. Uh, did you bring any spare parts based on what you have had issues with before? Obviously, O-rings is number one. Um, a plug, so if you had a bad hose, you can take it off, plug up the port so you can still use it. It's suggested, do you have the proper weights? And do you have a checkoff list when you pack up your equipment? Do you have information on the area you're going to go to? And do you have local contact information in case there's an emergency? Tough preparation. Make sure you're healthy, rested, nourished, meaning not a hangover. Not about the dive. Good about it. And like we always have in the club, anytime you want to say no to a dive, you don't have to have a reason. Just say, just not up to it right now. And nobody makes fun of you, and that's the way it should be. This macho crap, going to get yourself hurt. You pack food, drinks, and a snack. Um, you know, for us, especially during the summer, you want to have that extra hydration. And we always know after we dive, we go eat someplace. Uh, did you leave a dive plan, meaning telling somebody where you're going to be, what time you plan on being there, and what time you plan on being back? Especially when you do boat dives, because you have a boat plan also. Have swimsuit, money, towel, medications, a jacket, and it sounds like odd during the summer, but you've been on the boat when the sun goes down, it gets awful chilly out there. Non-dive planning, pre-dive, when you're there, before you dive or not, sure you know local communications, does your cell phone work? Get in and that you can get out at the same spot. Sometimes, you know, getting in is a lot easier than getting out. If you haven't already, make sure you're discussed your buddy system techniques, meaning you know their equipment, they know yours, and you know the hand signals that you're going to be using collectively together. And we want to agree on what's the pattern, of course, for the dive. How long you're going to be out? What's the limit in depth, time, and uh, air? And are you current on emergency procedures? Little tips that if you haven't done before, diving plan checklist is not a bad thing to review for the day. Excellent. Thank you. I, I especially like the one of uh, putting your, your name or some other way of identifying your items. Because there's nothing like uh, having... You know, a bunch of fins in a pile or a bunch of uh, gloves in a pile and not knowing who they are. And especially when you're a new diver and you're at the same shop, it seems that uh, people tend to get that. Your first set of gear all seems to be very similar. So Everybody could... knows their mask and their snorkel, if they're using a snorkel anymore. Yep. But, but the fins and the gloves, or you come home and you got, why do I have two left feet? Yes. <laughs> that was just like, what the hey? Uh, it's aggravated for two left gloves or something like that. Uh-huh. And you know, somebody's got two right ones. <laughs> yeah, so, or somebody's holding one hostage. Well, you have been up to playing with the robots again? Oh, well, we are getting ready to start that on January 6th, which of the day of this recording is going to be this coming up Saturday, is where we find out what this year's challenge is going to be so from that point on for about six and a half more weeks uh they're head down building and then there's about seven weeks of competition that goes on and then depending on how well they do it can extend another three or so weeks beyond that so then as you know if we did half as well as we did last year then it's going to be a busy and long season so well, looking- i just got back to looking at the site i see that karen posted a picture Oh, Karen got one out there? 
on the site here? Oh, am I? Did I? Am I not scrolling right? Oh my gosh, I'm in. I'm in the wrong. <laughs> I was in the wrong text channel. <laughs> I'm like, why well, is? Okay. I mean, I could see everybody listening, but I couldn't see what was going on. Oh, this makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, <laughs> thank you, Karen. Eric. Wow. Yes. I th- I thought it was quiet. I'm like everybody. This must be dead. So now here here's here's everybody talking. We have uh, quite a few who who showed up. Uh, Talked about that. Jim had some really nice suits and stuff at the uh, shop that are reasonable for trade ins and or club attire. See that suit that Ken's wearing? I believe that's one of them. That's Coast Guard. Uh huh. But. <laughs> And it's got the reflective vet, the stripes on it. It's that waterproof type with the insulation going on also, giving you some protection if you were to get wet, uh, other than your feet, because those are not the booty types, like the Gumby suits. suits. So if you did plan on doing a lot of ice saving, one of those Gumby suits for your tender, he would much appreciate That way if you go in, because it's got the attached feet on the Gumby suit, would be a very nice thing for to have if you're going to do a lot of this. Yep. And uh, um, yep. Yeah, I was just going through some of the some of the comments that I missed, and Karen had actually corrected me, and uh, she pointed out that gases dissolve more in cold water than warm, so cold water would have more oxygen dissolved in it. And she's correct because it's in the summer when we see things get warm, they, there's less auction in the water and i was just i think i had i just had it reversed good because we got the people in the chat room can do this and then give us a clue we can go back to it that's a good item to do that yeah we didn't have to encourage karen she was smart enough to do that for us oh yeah yeah and there's and there's a photo from the the ice dive very nice karen's out here what you can't see in the picture is the ice sinking down over foot with all the divers posing for the picture <laughs> If you notice, you can start seeing water on both sides that you didn't yeah. see before. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's one of the things I always remember every time we do an ice dive is just the how that hole starts to morph and bend a little bit. For the picture, we talked about it at um, pre-dive briefing left. The item I mentioned was we have a video, and i got to find that one, where we're out on the ice like this. That was the day we had a ladder in the hole, went to the bottom, out there. So we figured if we needed it, we'd put stuff in the boat. Wouldn't have to worry about it. You've got a, and I can't remember how many, four or five of us easy out there. You see us blink fast enough, and we were all gone. Took everybody in. Mm-hmm. I mean, like bang. <laughs> if you didn't see the video or the picture, or there, you would have not believed that all the people on the ice could disappear before your eyes. <laughs> everybody uh, had their suit, everybody had their gear on. Yeah, that's all reason you can laugh at, at something like that, because it ended up being okay. But uh, and, and We went to recover some of the items that was on the ice, <laughs> so that way we got two dives in on that one. Yeah, yeah well, uh, if you watch the news, uh, they have a lot of ice and snow where we normally don't have it throughout the country this time of year. And uh, they have had some uh, accidents where people have broken through the ice down in places like Georgia. You know, we're, they're not used to having frozen water, and they're not experienced enough to know, <laughs> don't walk across it. Well, one of the drawing features that get people drowned mm-hmm. is they go after their dog. Oh, yes. Ice or 
out there, you know, something or other, and they go to get their animal. Yeah. Animal usually makes it back to shore. Yeah, that's but on the second of this year down at the uh, YMCA. They in fact had uh, ice rescue demonstrations at the YMCA, and they had pictures of that in uh, the Herald Palladium the other day. Because mm-hmm. I was looking at one of their rescues that the diver in the water had a harness connected to a tether to the shore, and with a ten foot leader or another tagline, basically with uh, the um, oh, what do you call it? The noodles, the noodles that are around the rope, uh, what a flotation noodle is. Yeah, yeah. If and they're hollow, so you put a rope through it, yep. attached to that. So, so when the guy went in, you put that around the, the individual. So if you both had trouble, they could haul you in with the guy. It's like, hmm, we may have to make one of those just for ourselves. Yeah. Be a good res- ice rescue device. Well, yeah, they're they're uh, good to uh, to have. I had ice clamp-ons on my boots. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when uh, Dave was in the hole, and by the way, we used a saw, a hand saw. Oh, wow. Like butter. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it was better than using the darn chainsaw. Saw. Yeah. I well, mean, that's what they started using, but it wasn't working really well. Yeah. Had one cut through that ice really, really nice. Yeah, I've, so having a backup cha- uh, saw like that is not a bad idea. Yeah, I've I've got a saw that would probably work pretty well for that. It's uh, it's not like your normal saw. Uh, you know, it's 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 got you know both top and bottom have uh, serrated teeth on it, and I use it for trimming and pruning. But I bet that would work great in the ice. I might, but now that I look at the picture again and, and her and uh, Karen's comment, we're going to have to remember to do that in our next uh, dive briefing. Geek the camera. Wasn't thinking of the ice and the water. Mm-hmm. That's a safety aspect that we should have thought about and observed before. Later, we're looking at the picture and saying, damn, we could have been in trouble here. Yep. Oh, that's a good point. I have to remember that one. Darn it. I hate when I miss something obvious. Mm-hmm. And then she's also mentioning, we talked about you know people chasing their dogs. Uh, in Columbia Township, just north of Bangor, uh, Bangor uh, they just rescued a horse that fell through the ice a couple days ago. That's a dog. I understand. How do you get a horse out? Um, my my horses would not want to go anywhere near that. But I guess if you had one who was probably trying to get a drink or something, and you know went out a little bit far, oh, they used a tow truck. <laughs> but still, that's got to be traumatic for the horse. Oh yeah, yeah. It's many times. I don't say many. Uh, occasionally, that can pretty much be fatal. Um, Could be. I, I've seen uh, videos of horses that have been stuck in the mud where uh, it's pretty tough. Watching the Alaskan people get a cow red hole. Yeah. It's like, get it out, you got to kill it. That would not be a fun thing. No. Well, Scaring a horse out of the ice, <laughs> I can tell you that. I'm just thinking of all the options, and many of them aren't pretty. <laughs> I mean, the most obvious one is you wait for a popsicle form. And then, uh, then you use the chainsaw for another purpose, and then you. Yeah, I mean, I've done that before, by the way. Ugh. I should have some pictures that when you have ice and ice entrapment like that, mm-hmm. or you have flood conditions, most of the power plants take water from either big lakes or nice rivers, or bay areas that mm-hmm. have gratings. Yeah, and after big floods, or hydraulic saw, and you cut the cowls part because they're jammed in the grates 
crates. So you have to cut the cows apart so they get the parts and pieces out. Oh. That's ten dollars an hour and all you can eat. Oh jeez. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> you can't top that one. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, we can edit that. Uh, so <clears throat> are are you ready for the uh, that time of the show? Oh well I I should have I should have given the opportunity to plug anything if you if you wanted to. Uh and I hope uh, I do plan on going to Our World Underwater. <clears throat> It'll probably be a Saturday. We usually make an afternoon trip, and we usually stop by, you know, like Kabbalah's and Pro Basque on the way home to mm-hmm. find out what we don't have and what yeah. we'd like to have. Yeah, all sorts of boats the and food stuff. Run. Yep. And then if Kevin was here, he'd be, he'd want you to uh, take some time and appreciate your librarians and libraries. Uh, an excellent resource that uh, you can take advantage of. Well, with that, let's go ahead on and head to that time of show. And, and I've I've got two. I don't know if the if the first one doesn't work, we may need to try out the second one. But uh, here we go. An optimist sees light at the end of a tunnel and thinks it's an exit. A pessimist sees light at the end of a tunnel and assumes it's an onrushing train. The train conductor sees two stupid guys staggering on the train tracks. The problem with that one is, if you look in the paper in the last couple of days, there have been a lot of stupid people. Oh, no. Was Some people have been hit by trains? Three that I remember in this last week. Oh, wow. Is it because of the weather? It sounds like inattentive and stupidity. Wow. Yeah. That's... To me, you don't walk on the tracks with your headphones on. Oh. Well, yeah. My uh, my nephew, here's a little sidetrack, who uh, he, he's... He actually works for the the railroad. He's the guy who does the maintenance on the uh, the crossing gates and stuff. And he says a study of most of the times when kids get hit with headphones, they consider it suicide. You know, they think that they're just put the headphones on knowing the train's going to eventually come at some point and boom. Believe it, I've, I've been in many instances and some of those places you're doing 60 plus miles an hour. Yeah there and you see it and before you know it it's here yeah wow you're not gonna win for a train no no you can't beat a train wow so this is really an uplifting episode (laughs) items of what not to do yeah so and and actually i think this this next joke might be something else you you may or may not want to do two scuba divers are getting ready for a nice river dive just before they are ready to enter the water a funeral procession drives by the road next to their entry point. One of the divers takes off his mask and closes his eyes and bows his head in contemplation. The other diver comments, that must be the most touching thing I've ever seen. You're a very feeling person. The diver recovered himself and replies, yeah, well, we were married for 35 years. Well, I mean, a lot of diehard divers can understand that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was on the schedule and the calendar. Well, what else is he going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to make any difference to her. No. And he, he he obviously cared enough to take the time to make sure the funeral possession would go by the dive site. So, on that note, go out there and get wet. Be safe. <laughs>